birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the, their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appear with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told, told them about this baby. And all who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thanks, Muriel, and thanks to everyone who's read and sung. Um, it is lovely to get to sing these carols together in our select gathering. Um, it's great to be with you all. Uh, I should say hello. I'm Michael. Um, I'm part of the staff team here at Christ Church. And for the next few minutes, I'd just like to reflect together on, um, on a question. It's on the screens. Where's the joy this Christmas? Um, We've just been singing Joy to the World, favorite Christmas tunes. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And Christmas is wonderful. The food, the family, the fun, um, getting to watch Home Alone with a bag of chocolate coins in your hand. It's great stuff. But maybe this Christmas, we can relate a little bit more to that question. It could be for smaller reasons. Uh, earlier this week, one of my colleagues was sharing her annual Christmas highlight. Get this, it's going to visit the Milton Keynes Winter Wonderland. Uh, you know, I, I like to think of it as a bit like Marks and Spencer's 
It's not just any winter wonderland. It's the Milton Keynes winter wonderland. You're living the dream. And uh, anyway, that's her Christmas highlight, and she's done it every year for 43 years. And this was the first year in 43 years that she wasn't satisfied because it all felt a bit commercial. You know, Paris of thought, a winter wonderland, commercial. The Milton Keynes winter wonderland, surely not. But, um, but it could be for bigger reasons that we wonder where's the joy this Christmas. Things feeling tighter for many with gas prices and food prices going up. Missing out on school nativities. Um, maybe you couldn't do yours or, or you couldn't visit the one you normally would. The O word, Omicron. You're wondering if the government will bring in more restrictions that will change our plans. Will we get to spend Christmas with our friends and family? Will we get home for Christmas? Will we have to isolate? Even if those things don't happen, there's the fear that they could. There's real anxiety about that stuff. And with all the news this week, you might feel like our Christmas joy is in the hands of a government that's kind of hard to trust, that is maybe more concerned with, with uh, looking out for itself than for the little people. Easy to feel that way. And it's easy to imagine lots of households this Christmas where the mood is less peace and goodwill to all, and it's more frustration and disappointment. And this is where you think, oh, I'm glad I came to church tonight. You know, I'm glad I came, all this gloom and doom. Well, no, don't worry. It's not just bad news. There is great news for us this Christmas. See, we can afford to face up to the gloomy stuff because there is still great joy available. Because when you go back to the first Christmas, you see that gloomy stuff doesn't cancel out great joy. In fact, when you go back to the first Christmas, you find that it's within gloomy stuff that great joy is born for all people who will have it. So come back with me to the first Christmas, um, and here's another question. Where's the joy that Christmas? We're talking about the uh, last Bible passage that was read for us. Uh, it's actually on the back of your flyers, if, uh, if you have those. And just notice from it how the Bible's Christmas story starts. Notice it doesn't start once upon a time, like a happy fairy tale, nice but nonsense. No, it starts with a real government, Caesar's government, doing a real census. Why? Well, to see if their tax records are up to date. A big government tax assessment. That's the flavor of the Bible's Christmas story, not reindeers and sleigh bells, but a tax assessment. You know, forget the happy fairy tale. This is real down-to-earth, real-life stuff. And Caesar's government doesn't seem to care very much for the little people, like a young couple with a baby on the way called Mary and Joseph. They're caught up in this big government decision that completely changes their plans. They have to relocate 90 miles away to Bethlehem. As the crow flies, that's about the same distance from here to Birmingham. And that might not sound like a lot, but then imagine doing the journey when you're heavily pregnant, with no car, 
with roads that aren't very smooth. And then the baby comes when they're away from home. And you're frantically looking for a place to stay, but there's nowhere. And the baby's crying, and you're exhausted, and all you can do is take this animal feeding trough and clean it up the best you can. And that's where you put your newborn baby. And if we left the story there, what would we think of the first Christmas? Well, we think it's a nightmare, wouldn't we? You know, uh, I know we miss, we've missed out on nativities this year, but would we want to go to this one? Would we want to go to the original? We, uh, we sometimes sing the carol in the bleak midwinter, and we don't actually know if this all happened in midwinter, but it was bleak all right, wasn't it? It's grim. But as bleak as it looks, there was more going on that first Christmas than meets the eye. Where's the joy in that Christmas? Well, to find out, we have to go to the hills outside Bethlehem where some shepherds are looking after their flocks by night. And it's not a coincidence that these shepherds are isolated. Sadly, we know a bit about isolation these days. But shepherds in those days, they were basically made to isolate. They were nobodies, the lowest of the low. And they're pulling the night shift. By the way, I'd love to know how you do that. How do you look after your flocks by night when it's dark? I don't know. How do you do that? But quickly, it's much easier to watch after their flocks because suddenly light is everywhere. Light breaks into the darkness. And the shepherds are terrified because this is no ordinary light. This is the light of God's glory, the God of the universe shining out. And they're overwhelmed like deer in the headlights. They're frozen with fear. But God sends an angel, a messenger. That's what an angel is, to speak to them. And you can see what the angel says, either on your, on your flowers or up on the screens. The God of the universe, by his angel, says to these terrified nobodies, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Just linger on that for a bit. Here's a heavenly press release announcing good news. And before the angel tells us what it is, he tells, it what, tells us what it does. It brings joy. Actually, not just joy, it brings great joy. The kind of joy that means you're still rejoicing even if you don't get the Christmas you were hoping for. The kind of joy that means you're still rejoicing even when the turkey sandwiches have run out and the, lies, the, the lights are off the tree and you have to go back to work, back to school. Still rejoicing then. Doesn't that sound good? Great joy. And do you see who this joy is for? It's not for some kinds of people. No, it's for all people, even shepherds. To others, these shepherds, they were the nobodies. But for God, God chooses to include them in this joy. He doesn't want them to miss out. Isn't this striking? Think, think of the kind of government we might be used to. Think of Caesar's government. Too big to care about the little people who, uh, who just see them as numbers on a census, people to get tax out of. And then look at this government, God's government. 
God who cares about the very littlest people, even shepherds. And he doesn't want to get something from them, but wants to give them joy. No one's off limits, including you and me. And maybe now the shepherds are a little less terrified, and they're wondering, on a dark night with smelly sheep, what could be this good news of great joy? Well, look with me at verse 11. The angel says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I think you'd agree, it's usually a really happy thing when a baby's born. My, uh, my brother and his wife had their first child earlier this year, um, and we were all so happy. The family WhatsApp group was full of pictures. Uh, we were all arranging visits. There were presents going here and there. We were all so happy, apart from one person, Bonnie, the family dog. Because until that point, Bonnie had been the center of attention. And then the baby came along, and Bonnie did not like how things changed. In fact, there's a photo that I think sums things up pretty perfectly. And um, just notice the difference between the foreground and the background in this photo. Here it is on the screens. There's baby Grace, happy as Larry, and in the background, Bonnie, absolutely fed up with life. I love it so much. Um, and to be fair to Bonnie, it's not been smooth sailing all the time. Um, here's another photo. Uh, she does have to put up with some grim stuff. But, uh, but silly costumes aside, you want to say to Bonnie, rejoice. It's really good news that this baby's been born. It's a joyful thing. And the same is true of that bleak-looking birth in Bethlehem. However bleak it seems, actually, it's a joyful thing. Joy has been born. That is good news for all people. Because here's what's really going on with the baby in the manger. The, the angel doesn't tell us his name, but he does tell us three things about him. One, he's the Messiah. In other words, the day is coming when this baby is going to rule over the world forever. And unlike selfish rulers who use their power for themselves, this king's rule will be marked by goodness and justice and peace, whose subjects will gladly live under his rule because they know he cares. He's different. That's who this baby is. Two, he's God. That's what the Lord means. In other words, the baby from Bethlehem is also the Lord from heaven. And it's almost too much to believe, but this bleak birth reveals a God who does not consider it beneath him to be born and put into an animal feeding trough. Isn't that amazing? It's quite a thought. The baby in the manger is the God of the universe. That's who this baby is. And finally, he's a savior. That's what the angel means when he says to the shepherds, a savior has been born to you. And we know he's been born to Mary. The angel's saying he's been born for you, for your benefit, born to save you. See, in a way, the shepherds were right to be terrified when God's light shone on them. It is a terrifying thing 
when God's light shines on us. Maybe you can imagine walking into a dark room and um, in the darkness it looks all right. But then you hit the light switch and you see there's broken furniture and clothes strewn everywhere and stains on the walls with whatever and it's a mess. The light has shown up what was hiding in darkness. Well then imagine what if someone could hit the light switch on your life and show up everything, all your secrets, all the things that you hope no one will ever know, out in the open for everyone to see. It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? And God says to us that one day that is what will happen, that God's perfect light will shine into our darkness and show up everything about us. And on that day, there will be nowhere to hide except in the Savior who's been born to us. A Savior who knows just how messy we are, but who loves us and who can make us clean and beautiful before God. A Savior who can do that whatever we've done so that all who receive him have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to hide, for they have peace with God. That's who this baby is. For people who fear God's light, he is the Savior who turns fear into joy, the joy of forgiveness and acceptance and peace. And so let's come back to where we started. Where's the joy this Christmas? Well, you can find it in the same place as back then. Isn't it striking? That first Christmas in Bethlehem looked completely joyless. But then the angel tells us joy has been born for all people who will have him. A bleak Christmas needn't cancel out great joy because of the Savior who's been born to us.